Elder Smith preached to me. Would you say that? Elder Smith preached to me. Come and take your liberty. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Riggin, and praise the Lord, everybody. Well, if you haven't worshipped the Lord yet, you certainly have passed an opportunity because we've come into this sanctuary to pull every stop out of the way and give to God the very best of our praise and adoration. I certainly want him to know that he is second to none in my life, that he holds first place. I want to love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. And so tonight, as we entered these doors, we came to worship the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated and a wonderful delight to be here with Pastor Riggin, Sister Riggin, and this church family again just one month later. I didn't realize it would be so soon that we would return but uh, as my schedule has unfolded, and it has been a busy, busy schedule since that even we left here, but uh, I had a meeting this morning uh, with Brother Chalfant, and uh, he'd already made other plans for guest speaker to be coming in tonight, so I thought and hoped I might just slip in tonight among the stuff and be a good saint on the pew and worship God with everything there is in me from the floor rather than from the platform. But your wonderful pastor just wouldn't allow that to be the case tonight. Uh, however, I do count it a very great honor to be here and uh, we love you folks very, very much. We certainly love and esteem your pastor and his wife. Since I have been here with my wife, uh, Brother Riggin has been halfway around the world doing the work of the Lord and building up the kingdom of God in another land. And uh, I believe that this church went with him. I believe that you went with him in your thoughts and in your prayers and uh, in commitments that were made. I know I was thinking about Brother Reagan. In fact, the day he was leaving the country, I was sending him a message to let him know I was thinking about him and praying for him. And uh, when he landed, I sent another message to let him know I was still thinking about him and anxious to hear the reports. And, uh, you know, it's just, there's a lot of rigor that goes into what your pastor has, has uh, been involved with now for the past more than a year of time. Uh, but even recently on this trip, so much wear and tear, not only on the body, but wear and tear on him in many various uh, ways that we could talk about. But thank God for the victories won. Amen. And thank God for the progress made. 
thank God to hear these reports of brethren in Zimbabwe preaching this apostolic doctrine that just a year ago they couldn't have preached because they didn't have the revelation. They didn't have understanding and insight, but because your pastor was willing to go following the leading of God's Spirit, now, a year later, what a difference and a great work that is unfolding. I say to God, be the glory for every bit of it. Amen. I believe the best is yet to come, Brother Reagan. I don't mean to be negative in any sense of the word, but there will be uh, trials. There will be challenges. There will be disappointments because it happens even that way in America. It happens in the work of the Lord. Jesus faced disappointments with some that he called to follow him that followed for a while and then turned aside. But thank God he didn't quit. Thank God he didn't give up on humanity, but he kept on reaching. And today I'm in the church and you're in the church and so many others are in the church because the Lord set his face like a flint. Amen. And I do appreciate the commitment and dedication of, of Pastor Riggin. I've read the report that he prepared for this church and read it with great excitement. And if the Lord will allow us some time tomorrow, I'm looking forward to just hearing some more about uh, what went on and what's still uh, what the plans are forward and so forth. Praise be to God for it. Well, Sister Smith, come and greet these people if you would tonight. Maybe you'd sing a song or, or whatever you would feel from the Lord. I appreciate my good wife. She's still following me all over the land and all over the world, and I appreciate her, her faithfulness to doing the work of the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord, everyone. Oh, what a privilege to walk with this God that we serve. Every day is a new experience. Every day can be a new experience if we'll allow it to be. Allow his word to become such a part of you that you cannot even feel like you've lived until you've read his word and talked to him because there's nobody greater. And one of these days soon, we're going to go home to be with the Lord.
built a new house for me. And it's not an earthly house. It's not a house that a fire can burn. It's not a house that uh, an earthquake can destroy. But oh, it can take whatever's coming adversity and winds that uh, beat against it and storms and what have you because it's a work of the Spirit. And I thank God for this new house. Amen. The work of God means more to me than anything else in the world. If you'd stand with me tonight, let's turn our attention for a little while to the book of Judges, chapter 16. The book of Judges, chapter 16, and I certainly do not take it lightly that Brother Riggin has requested that I would minister the word of the Lord tonight. I, I do know this. For all of us here to be saved, we must have a preacher preach to us. In fact, I need a preacher to preach to me. You need a preacher to preach to you. And the Word of God is intended to be quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God needs to get down inside of us and uh, dig us out, cause us to search our hearts and, and uh, look deep within. Let the Holy Ghost search us. And if there be any way in us that is unlike the Lord, then we need to bring it to an altar and empty out. Get ready to meet the Lord. Every day of life is a new day. It's a new opportunity to walk close to God and to serve him and to please him. Judges chapter 16, verse number 18. And when Delilah saw that Samson had told her all his heart, she called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once. For he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up and brought money in their hand. And she made Samson to sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. And Delilah said... The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep, and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself. And he wist not, or he knew not. He didn't understand that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him, and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in 
the prison house. Lord Jesus, thank you for this privilege to be in your presence tonight. We've come to worship you. We've come to submit our hearts before you. And I pray now that as your word is ministered, as it goes forth, that you would be the quickening spirit, that you would deal with our hearts, that you would challenge every one of us to be all that you want us to be. And that by the time we leave this sanctuary tonight, each and every one of us would be closer drawn to you, wholly committed to you, and ready for your soon coming. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, brother and sister Tolstead, for that beautiful song. Uh, brought back a lot of memories to me back in the days when I used to try to help Sister Smith sing. Uh, I'd get an accordion on and play the accordion and we'd sing that old song. And it was just as meaningful to me tonight as it was when we used to uh, travel around and, and sing that as a special during services. It's still this Holy Ghost so genuine. Amen. Praise God. Well, the story of Samson is perhaps one of the most recounted biographies in the entire Old Testament. Uh, with no offense intended at all, I suppose there are very few people in tonight's setting who can actually recall all 15 of Israel's judges by name. And I'm certainly not throwing stones at anybody here. I'm ashamed to tell you I'd probably miss a couple going down through them if you gave me the test at this moment. But if we could recall only one, no doubt it would be the man named Samson. His promised birth was announced by an angel to his mother and father. It was further prophesied that he was to be distinctively different from most other men and that Samson was to be a Nazarite from birth until the day of his death. One thing in particular that everyone seems to remember about him is that he was a man of phenomenal strengths. As a matter of fact, he won victories that earned him the recognition of being a hero in most every child's mind. In all of my life, I've truthfully never heard of any other man killing 1,000 of his enemies with simply the jawbone of a donkey. And who else do you know of who destroyed the crops of his enemies by setting the tails of 300 fox on fire? and then turning those fox loose 
to run through standing fields of corn and olive vineyards that were ripened and ready for harvest? Or of what other individual can we say when closed in on by his foes, stood up under the gates of the city and simply walked away, carrying those gates upon his very own shoulders. Truly, Samson was a chosen man. Samson was raised up by God himself to be a judge, a deliverer for the people of Israel. And beyond every shadow of doubt, he was a man of the hour. But of all the good that can be recounted about this man, Samson, we cannot help but notice a definite and ugly blot within his life. A dark scourge of sin that marred and eventually ruined an otherwise beautiful life. And with this recounting of his life as a backdrop tonight, I want to preach a message that I've entitled The Truth About Sin. The Truth about sin. When asked what is sin, one particular individual replied, man calls sin an accident. Howbeit God calls it an abomination. Man calls sin a chance. Yet God calls it a choice. Man calls it infirmity. However, God calls sin iniquity. Man may call it a luxury. Nevertheless, God terms it leprosy. Man says that sin is a weakness. Albeit, God calls it willfulness. And although man often sees sin as a trifle, it is truly a tragedy. Sin is a tragedy. Scripturally defined, sin is disobedience against God. It's contrary to what is good and right. In fact, in the fourth chapter of James' epistle, in verse number 17, we're told, He that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In the book of 1 John, chapter 5, in verse 17, the scripture further declares, All unrighteousness is sin. Let me tell it like it really is tonight. Sin is ugly any way we look at it. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. 
And sin will always cost you more than you ever intend to pay. I hope somebody's listening tonight. This may be a straightforth message tonight, but I'm going to do my best to minister what the Lord laid on my heart for this meeting. I want you to understand you can't outplay sin. You cannot outsmart sin. Sin, sin is contrary to God and his will for your life. If you'll permit me to recall the account of Samson's downfall for a few moments this evening, I want you to follow me. Verse number 4 of the 16th chapter of the book of Judges tells us that Samson loved a woman whose name was Delilah. And it's further noted that Delilah was a Philistine. Of course, all of us should carefully recognize the Philistines were avowed enemies of Jehovah God and his people. So in a very real sense of the word, Samson was in love with God's enemy. Now that doesn't sound good, Pastor, but that's true. The Bible said he loved a woman whose name was Delilah. Delilah was a Philistine. The Philistines were the enemies of God. And so Samson was in love with an enemy of God. That's dangerous. That is very, very dangerous. But yet it's the truth. The Bible lets us know what was going on. You see, no one ever gets that close to the enemy without sooner or later falling into his trap. You may not fall into his trap today or tomorrow or maybe even next week, but if you keep playing that game sooner or later, you'll fall into the enemy's trap. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened to Samson. Delilah set a trap for him. And in finale, Samson fell into it. In verse number 6, Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. Now, if you want that broken down into plain English, she simply wanted to know, what's the source of your strength? Tell me. I want to know. That's what she wanted to know. And so Samson said in verse 7, If they bind me with seven green wisps that were never dried, then I'll become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah had the lords of the Philistines bring the necessary materials, and she tried it. She bound him accordingly. Then she said in verse 9, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. 
And the Bible tells us he break the wits. So the secret of his strength was not yet discovered. Now, that's number one, Samson never should have been where he was to begin with. But number two, that should have been the blaring of sirens in his ears to say, run, run, run for your life. Run while you can. But he didn't. And so the 10th verse, as we read, we find Delilah setting the trap for Samson once again. As she said, Samson, behold, thou hast mocked me. Now here she's going to make him feel like the heel. She's going to make him feel like the complete idiot. Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. In other words, I want to know what's the secret of your strength. And Samson said to her, now he's going to get closer this time. I mean, it's it pretty, pretty ridiculous, but I'm just going, I'm preaching tonight the truth about sin. I, I hope you understand. And so this time, Samson said in verse 11, if they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I become weak and be as another man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him accordingly and said, the Philistines be upon thee. Samson and he break the ropes from off his arms like they were a thread but he still didn't get up and go home he was in love with God's enemy I said he was in love with God's enemy. And verse 13 tells us the enemy's trap was set for Samson the third time. Delilah said, Samson, hitherto you've mocked me. You've told me lies. Tell me now wherewith thou mightest be bound. Oh, can't you just hear the old wine bag now? She's pouring it on. She's making him feel so bad. You know, you, you've mocked me. You've lied to me. If you love me like you, said, like you say you love me, you tell me the source of your strength. And he should have said goodbye. But he didn't. The Bible tells us he got closer again by saying in verse 13, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web. So Delilah fastened the hair of his head into her loom and said to him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and yanked his hair away and broke the loom and should have gone home. But he was in love with God's enemy. Okay? Are you following me? Needless to say, Delilah was more than a little distraught that Samson had deceived her on three prior occasions. Howbeit she purposed to set the enemy's trap yet another time. 
that she might destroy him. She didn't care about the source of his strength. She really wanted to destroy him. That's the truth about sin. Do you understand? That's the truth about sin. Sin intends to destroy the individual. My, my. And the Bible tells us that. In the book of James, you can go there and read it for yourself. But anyway, she set the trap again. I don't know how much time went by. The Bible doesn't tell us. It could have been days. It could have been weeks. It could have been months. It could have been a lengthy period of time that he continued his love affair with God's enemy. But she said to him in verse 15, Samson, how can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me. You've mocked me these three times. You haven't yet told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And verse 16 tells us it came to pass that when she pressed him daily, in other words, today and tomorrow and the next day and the following, she kept on pressing him, telling him, you don't really love me. If you love me like you said you do, then you tell me your whole heart. And as she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death. Samson told her, the Bible said, all his heart. And he said in verse 17, now it's no longer green widths. It's no longer new ropes that have never been used. Now it's not just weaving the locks of his hair into a, the web. But now he said, there hath never come a razor upon my head. For I've been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. And if I be shaven, then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and I'll be like any other man. I've told you everything. That's all my heart, the source of my strength. You, if my hair's cut, what a fool he was because when he talked about green wits, she did just what he said. When he talked about new ropes, he, she did just what he said. When he, when he talked about weaving his hair into the web, she tried it and now he's saying you know if my hair be cut if the locks of my head be shaven then my strength will go from me and I'll become weak and be like any other man and the question tonight is this could Samson not see was there no perception at all in his heart did he not recognize the fact that since Delilah was a Philistine, she was truly his enemy? Could he not see what was going to happen to him? Of course, there's only one answer to all such questions. And that answer is absolutely not. He could not see what was about to happen to him. He couldn't see anything, in fact, because sin has a way of blinding a person until he or she is completely oblivious to every warning sign. 
That's the truth about sin. Sin blinds a person. And thus it was Samson's vision became so dim and out of focus uh, until all he could seem to see uh, was his own selfish desire. He loved Delilah. He loved a woman who was a Philistine. His desire was this woman who was truly God's enemy. Uh, and he was so blinded uh, by his own desire that he could not see what was about to happen. And so it happens in our own day as well. The exact same scenario is often played out on the stage of everyday life only with different names and faces and in various places around the world. Nevertheless, sin truly blinds a person to reason. Sin blinds a person to knowledge. And sin even blinds people to consequence as well. Thus sin blinded Samson. Perhaps someone else is wondering why such a notable hero did not run for his life. Blessed as he was with supernatural strength to defeat formidable foes, it would be totally within reason to expect that no feat at all was impossible for him. As a matter of fact, according to precedent, Samson should have been able to simply shake himself like he had so many times before and come out on top of whatever the situation might have been. But not so, at least not in that particular instance. For sin, you see, not only blinds an individual, but sin binds a person as well. Blinds them and binds them. As a matter of fact, the longer people continue to live in sin, the tighter and the stronger its grip is upon them. Actually, sin has the same kind of an effect on humans as a spider's web does upon insects. The more an insect tries to get free from the spider's web, the more entangled the insect actually becomes. And so it is when people get to playing games with sin. And they get to just staying around what is sin then uh, they become more entangled uh, and more entangled uh, until they don't see properly uh, and they certainly aren't free to run uh, like they ought to run uh, in God's direction. Because that's the truth about sin. Reminds me of a letter that my wife and I received from a dear sister, probably 34, 33, 34 years ago. And just a few excerpts of her letter to us. She said, sometimes I get so bound I can't even speak. 
talking about being bound. That's what sin will do to a person. She said, but by the grace of God, after this night, I'll no longer be bound. I want to feel the weight of those chains fall from me. And she said, I remember how I once was in the will of God. And I served him as I should. However, with passing time, I became more sure of myself and less dependent upon God. Oh, it's the same old story. It's the same old story. People become more confident in the flesh and less dependent upon the Holy Ghost. And she said, little did I realize that I was actually opening a door for the enemy and placing a welcome mat for him. Slowly, I let my guard down. Oh, just for a few minutes at a time at first to entertain what I considered to be harmless worldly thoughts, assuring myself that they were perfectly normal. And besides, I would tell myself, I have no control over my thoughts anyway. What a painful lesson I've had to learn because she said those so-called harmless thoughts all too quickly became destructive actions and before I realized what was happening to me I was trapped by sin that's what sin will do to you sin will bind a person and she said I was trapped by sin it's true and I'm still reading excerpts she said it's true sin brings about death but it doesn't simply kill sin murders it glories in producing a slow painful torturous cold and twisted death death that drags on and on haunting its victim night after sleepless night she said, oh, the agony that I've suffered just knowing that Jesus could come and I'd be left behind. The horror of leaping out of my bed in the middle of the night as I'd hear someone whisper my name and then begin to laugh. I knew it was just a matter of time for me and I'd end up in hell. Oh, God, and this was her prayer. Oh, God, rescue me from this one-way road to destruction. Lord, please don't turn me away. I'm asking you to help me one more time. I can't help but recall the memory of another individual talking about the fact that sin binds. The truth about sin is it binds people. It traps. This individual that I refer to now was an older man when I first remember meeting him. I, I knew some of his family members from my youth, but I didn't know this particular man until later in life and through 
his older sister who called for my wife and I to come and pray for her one day and God performed a notable miracle in her life and uh, she said uh, you, you I, I, I need for you to, to talk to my brother he's got lung cancer and uh, so I met her brother and in fact he came to her water baptism if I remember right and then I set up a Bible study with her brother and his wife and I would go every week and sit in their home and teach them Bible study and finally both of them were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins but as time went on and this cancer kept eating away at his body he was just literally just uh, the, the weight was falling off from him week after week and it reached a point where he could no longer live in his own home independently and so they moved into the city and and uh, were close to the medical facilities where he could uh, have regular visits in the home and go for treatments and whatever was needing to be done for him and uh, I would talk with him regularly about now Charlie uh, I, 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 you sure you you're walking close to God and you've given him everything and you're not holding on to this world and and so forth but one particular day down near the end of life's road for him I left a meeting that I had been attending to go and see Charlie and when I got there walked up on the uh, the porch of their apartment house and and uh, it was summertime. It was very hot. And, and uh, as I walked up onto that front porch, the sitting room window was right uh, there off the porch, and you could just look right in. And I wasn't being nosy, but I couldn't help but see what I saw. And I saw his wife kneeling on the floor beside a recliner chair Charlie was so weak he could not hold himself up he was propped up in that chair with pillows pillows just had him locked into place Charlie couldn't lift a glass of water to his own mouth to take a drink but there in front of that chair as his wife was kneeling she had a cigarette lit and she was holding it to his lips so he could take one more drag of nicotine into his lungs a man that was just about to breathe his last breath and go out into eternity but i'm talking about sin tonight and the truth about sin is that it binds a person it gets such a death grip on people until they're blind to reason and they're blind to knowledge and they're blind to consequence and then they're so bound that though they know look I ought to cut my hand off I ought to just cut my hand off and go to heaven but no they're trapped by sin and so here he is trying to get just one more drag of that nicotine down into his lungs because of the bondage of sin in his life. 
I'm preaching the truth about sin tonight. I want you to know it doesn't matter if it's a cigarette or if it's a glass of wine or if it's some immoral lifestyle or if it's pornography or if it's or if it's or if it's just you know you just lie and say i can't help myself let me tell you the truth about sin is it will bind you and so and so it was with samson go on and on the stories just don't seem to end it's one person after another oh my Thus it was, intoxicated by his own sinful desires, Samson failed to realize that he was in the enemy's grip long before Delilah cried, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. The Bible tells us that Samson awoke out of his sleep. He shook himself like he had done on so many prior occasions. However, by then, something was so very different from just the day before. Sad to say, but a drastic change had occurred. And for Samson, everyday life would never again be the same. It's that line, Pastor. It's that unseen line that people say, I'm not going to cross it, but they don't know where it is. And inevitably, people step across that line. And when they do, everyday life changes from there on. And so it was for Samson. And at that moment, his strength with God was gone. An hour earlier, it was there. The day before, it was there. But now, it's gone. It's gone. And truthfully, it dissipated before he ever realized what was happening. Verse number 16 of our scripture setting tells us uh, that Samson's soul was vexed unto death. And verse 19 says, uh, Delilah began to afflict him and his strength went from him. He didn't know it. I want to ask somebody here tonight, do you think, do you really think, do you really think that we are so advanced in this age of time that we know more than others? Do you really think that we can play the game of sin and get by and it won't be a day of reckoning for us? But here it was for Samson. You know, I shook myself before. I got out of it before. I'll do it again. But what he didn't know was he crossed the line. And when he crossed that line, his strength with God disappeared. And so it was in reality by the time Samson awakened from sleep, he was already blinded by sin. We've talked about that. He was absolutely bound by sin and we've already talked about that and while in such pitiful condition for Samson 
everything just went from bad to worse in a hurry. Oh, somebody in this house on a Sunday night needs to hear the preacher that's preaching to you. I'm not being unkind. I'm being as compassionate as I can be to tell you the truth, to tell someone in this house you need to hear the word of the Lord, the truth about sin. Whenever the enemy gets you down, he won't stop on the count of one or two. In fact, he won't quit at eight or nine. Oh, no, the enemy fully intends to keep you down until the bell rings and the fight is over. You see, Satan always plays to win. And furthermore, Satan always plays for keeps. Can someone hear me tonight? I said, can someone hear me tonight? Satan always plays to win, and he always plays for keeps. He doesn't intend to let you go when he's got you by the throat, when he's got you so blind and so bound until you're just oblivious to reality. You know, I, I came to church last week and everything was all right, and I came to church last month and everything was all right. I expect I'll be here next week and everything will be all right. But oh, if there's sin loose in your heart and in your mind and in your desires and you don't do something about it, then you'll cross a line and when you do, it's too late. It's too late like it was for Samson according to the biblical record that we find in verse 21. The Philistines took Samson and they now literally poured out his eyes. He's already blind. He's already so blind he can't see what's going on. But that wasn't good enough for the devil. Oh, no, I'm telling you, the devil is a mean old devil. And so they took those pokers, and according to what I understand, they put those pokers in the fire, and they heated them up until they were blazing red. And then they stuck them in his eye and burned the eyes out of the socket. And then the Bible said they bound him. Oh, he's already bound. He's so bound that he couldn't get up and run. But they bound him with fetters of brass is what the Bible said. And then what did they do with him? They forced him to grind in their prison house. The man chosen by God the man of the hour, the man that God chose as a deliverer for God's people, but now he's not delivering God's people. Oh, no. No, he's down in the enemy's camp, and he's grinding in their prison house. You talk about torment. You talk about torment. You talk about a man that must have been beside himself when he realized, hey, 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 this isn't what I was born for. This isn't what was supposed to have happened to me. But that's the 
truth about sin. Sin blinds and sin binds. And sin causes people to grind in the enemy's prison house. Hear me when I tell you sin merely. Sin really makes a slave out of those within its grips. I've got one story after another here I don't have time to tell tonight. Your pastor could tell you one story after another. I don't mean to belabor the point tonight, but oh, I know those who have found themselves grinding in the enemy's prison camp. Never forget the night I pulled away from the house my wife and I had been to visit a backslider. A woman older than the both of us. A woman that God had miraculously delivered from sin and brought into the church. But she turned aside. And remember the night my wife and I went to visit her to appeal again. Please, please, Bonnie, please, Bonnie. You, you got to get it right with God. You got to empty out at an altar. And she just... It was like I was talking to someone that was a million miles away. She was so far removed from what I was trying to, to get across to her. And when my wife and I got out in the car and I started the car up, tears running down my face, I said, I, I feel like I've just left the funeral home. I feel like I've just left the funeral home because it was as if Bonnie had just stepped across that unseen line and she had reached a point of, of no return. I, I don't say that carelessly tonight. I want God to reach in your direction and in soul's direction every day, every day, every day. But I'm being honest with you. The truth about sin is you can reach a point where you cross a line and there's no return. And you're left as a slave in the enemy's prison house. I have here in front of me the article of a young lady who took her own life. And uh, when she was found in her car, Beside her was the twisted rewording of the beloved 23rd Psalm. She had locked herself in a car in the state of North Carolina. She had hooked a hose up to the car's exhaust, pumped carbon monoxide into that vehicle, and it was just a matter of time until she succumbed to death, suicide suicidal death but here was the walked rendition of the psalm that she had laying beside her she said king heroin is my shepherd i shall always want it maketh me to lie down in the gutters he leadeth me beside troubled waters we're talking about heroin 
and he destroyeth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of wickedness. Yea, I shall walk through the valley of poverty, numb to all evil. For thou, heroine, art with me. Though thy needle and capsule comfort me, yet thou strippest my table of groceries in the presence of my family and robbest my head of reason. My cup of sorrow runneth over. Surely heroin addiction shall stalk me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the damned forever. Also found with her corpse was a handwritten message that she left and it said jail didn't cure me and hospitalization couldn't help me for long the doctor told my family it would have been better and indeed kinder if the person who got me hooked on drugs would have taken a gun to my head and blown my brains out and she said, I would to God he had. My God, how I wish he had. And at 23 years of age, a life too young to die, a life that should have been lived with with potential instead she said i can't go any further i've got to end it all because that's the truth about sin it makes a slave out of its victims you see the truth about sin is it's an absolute destroyer in the first chapter of the book of James, verse 15, we're told when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. That's where it starts. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. James 1 and verse 15. And then it said, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And that's where it ends. That's the truth about sin you say oh you pentecostals you apostolics you're so fanatical you know you you just you 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 preach and we feel such condemnation wouldn't you rather feel a, a challenge to your soul and be able to do something about it and get right with god than to go to a church where your ears are tickled and you're made to feel like sin is just okay and you don't stand a chance of being saved at all I know what I'm talking about. I've said for years, God forbid, but if I was a backslider, I'd rather know I'm on my way to hell and have a chance to get right with God than to think everything's all right and go on day in and day out and never be reached in time for my soul to be rescued. Oh, you ought to thank God for conviction. I'll tell you, this kind of preaching, and, and I'm just trying to obey the Lord tonight, but this kind of preaching is intended by the God of heaven to get down inside of you and to get a hold of something inside that's got to be dealt with until you can't hide between the pews and slip out the way you were when you came in. But it gets such a grip on you till you feel, i got to get to that altar. I've got 
to get to a place of prayer. I got to do something about what's going on in my life because you don't want to be lost. That is the truth about sin. In the name of Jesus. Oh, I feel conviction in this house tonight. Oh, don't hide. Whatever you do, don't hide. Don't hide from the searchlight of God. Don't, don't try to hide from what God's been dealing with you about. Tonight is the night of reckoning. This is the time. This is the place. You've wrestled with it. You've thought, oh, I'm going to take care of this someday. But this is the day. You've got to do something about it tonight. You've got to do something before you leave this meeting. Because there might not be a tomorrow for you to do something about it. Tonight in the presence of God, while conviction is high in this Sunday night meeting. No wonder the Apostle Peter, in, in his second chapter of his first epistle, said in verse number 11, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers, I beseech you, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. You say, oh, I don't want Pastor Riggin to know. I don't want him to know what's going on. Oh, you, you really do need for him to know because if he doesn't know, if God doesn't show him, if God doesn't lay a message on his heart to steer you in the right direction you'll just keep going the wrong direction until it's too late for your never dying soul Billy Sunday never spared words when it came to his vigorous attack on sin. He thundered against evil. He preached Jesus as the only answer to man's dilemmas. He said, I'm against sin. Why well, he said, he said, I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and when I'm fistless and when I'm toothless and when I am footless, he said, then I'm still going to do everything I can to destroy sin until it burns in hell. And my friend, if you're here tonight, you're held. If you're held in the grip of sin, I am happy to tell you there's a solution. There's a solution for your present dilemma. I feel conviction in the house tonight. You can respond anytime God wants you to respond. You can get out of a seat and run to this altar. You can get out of a seat and crawl on your hands and knees to this altar if that's what you feel you need to do. But I'll tell you there's one thing about it. I wouldn't go the other direction. I wouldn't take one step away from what God has brought you face to face with tonight. I'd make my way toward an altar of commitment and consecration. As a matter of fact, Jesus is in this very house so that the blind 
blind might see again so the blind might see again furthermore he's come so that those who are bound by sin can be loose from their shackles and so that all who are heavy laden grinding in the devil's prison camp can have sweet release once again oh I'm telling you in the world it's not possible but it can happen in an apostolic meeting in the presence of a holy God who wants to set you free to the woman taken in adultery Jesus said go 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 and sin no more to the man sick with palsy who was carried to the master by four men who were concerned for him Jesus said son thy sins be forgiven thee they hadn't even brought the man for his sins but Jesus said son thy sins be forgiven thee Isaiah of the Old Testament time speaking the word of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18 he said though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool oh for somebody to night it's time for a change it's time for a new house it's time for the Lord to be able to do in your life what he really wants to do if you just make room for him John the beloved tells us in first John chapter 1 and verse 7 it's the blood it's the blood it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth us from all sin oh I go back 50 nearly 54 years ago in my life to the day and the time when I, I walked out into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Maine for my pastor to, to take me to the baptism grave and when I got out deep enough he put me down in those waters in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins all oh, the water isn't what made me clean the water was the burial place it was the grave but the blood the blood that Jesus shed for me was applied to my life and washed me clean and now here I am tonight it's still the blood it's still the blood that cleanses from all sin. There's no time to be soft on sin. Someone here tonight needs to call the kettle black. You need to tell it like it really is. The only right thing to do with sin is recognize how ugly and destructive it really is. And then repent. Repent. For the word of God instructs us to confess and forsake all sin. If you think you're too young to do that, I just want to tell you the Bible said, the psalmist said, I was born in sin, shaping in iniquity. You don't have to teach a child to lie. It's part of the sinful nature. Even a child must repent. Young people must repent. Adults must repent. Don't push it off tonight. Don't push God away in this Sunday night meeting till you reach such a point in time to deal with sin. Sin will merely be a noose about your neck. 
getting tighter and tighter as the days go by. While some people toy with sin as if it's a harmless pet, in reality, sin is a poisonous serpent whose venom will ravish the natural man and damn the eternal soul. Hear this preacher when I tell you if somebody can help me at the music. Hear this preacher when I tell you there's no such thing as a small sin. There's no such thing as an insignificant sin or some kind of okay sin. You just got to understand the truth about sin is it's a destroyer. And the truth of the matter is there's no such thing as a good sinner. <clears throat> Do you hear me? That doesn't sound good. None of us as parents like to feel like that our children are naughty or bad. But the truth of the matter is, if they're not doing right, they're naughty. There's no such thing as a good sinner. Sin is a destroyer. First John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we say we haven't sinned, in verse 10, then we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. The truth about sin is this. It blinds. It binds and it makes a slave out of people who get caught in its trap. Sin will separate anyone from a saving God. Sin will bring shame and eventual disgrace to the very best of individuals. And ultimately, sin will ruin the work of God in people's lives and damn their eternal souls. Stand with me. It's no wonder we hear such clear words of challenge given by Jesus in the 13th chapter of Luke's gospel, verse 5, when he said, Except ye repent. Except ye repent. Ye shall all likewise perish. I hope you understand me tonight. Brother Smith has no axe to grind. I didn't come here to be heavy tonight. I just stepped to this pulpit to obey God. And because God loves us so much, He'll reach in our direction as long as there's hope. He loves you, sir. He loves you, ma'am. He loves you, young person. But you can't leave unrepented sin in your life. You see, unrepented sin will keep people out of heaven and cause eternal souls to be forever lost. 
For a holy and just God can't and he won't overlook sin. Furthermore, the 32nd chapter of the book of Numbers in verse 23, Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23 tells us, Be sure your sin will find you out. Maybe not today. And maybe not tomorrow. But the Bible said, be sure your sin will find you out. That's why it's better in a meeting like tonight where you can do something about it. Don't pretend. Don't play games with God. But tonight, find an altar. The truth about sin is this. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away the stains of sin and make a sinner clean. But you say, I've already been baptized, Brother Smith, and I feel like there are stains on my life. Then get back to an altar and pray the prayer of repentance. And as you walk in the light as he is in the light then the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you all over again thus the clarion message of God's word in this hour is still an all-out call to repentance from all sin it's the absolute necessity of water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of all sin and the infilling of the Holy Ghost which is initially evidenced by speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. I wouldn't trade this experience with God for a million dollars. I wouldn't trade it for the wealth of the world. I wouldn't trade it for another day of worldly pleasure. I've come to help somebody tonight to get life in perspective and to deal with sin before sin destroys who God really wants you to be. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that God has not called us unto uncleanness, but rather unto holiness. Therefore, as Christians, we're challenged to live holy unto God and separate from the sinful world that's all about us. In fact, the attitudes, the motives, the desires, and actions of man's sinful nature have to be laid aside. They have to be completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ at an old-fashioned altar of repentance. I want somebody in the house to hear me tonight. Hear me tonight. Hear me tonight. You could go to a church and never feel conviction like this, but I'll tell you what it will do. It will make you numb to sin. It will make you complacent and indifferent to sin. And when the trumpet sounds with sin in your heart, you'll never make it to the other side. And so as I open this altar on a Sunday night, I wonder, I wonder if you'd listen to God's voice. It's more than the voice of the preacher. You said to me when I got up to preach tonight, preacher, preach to me. 
but it's more than the voice of the preacher. It's the unction of the Holy Ghost. It's the dealing of God's Spirit reaching, reaching for you, reaching back to where you stand, to where you sit, and he's tugging on you, and he's pulling on you. You might be as close as the front seat, but if you're feeling that tug and that pull of God, what you need to do is respond right now and say, I'm not going to put it off, and I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do something about this before sin destroys me. Oh, the truth about sin is you don't have to live any longer under its destructive power. For the good news is this. Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. And the Bible said, if the Son therefore make you free, then you're free indeed and so on a sunday night here it is june the 15th 2014 a day a day of destiny a day that the lord himself has reached down to where you're at and he has reached into your heart and he has tugged upon your life for you to respond to the dealing of conviction and to lay aside your garment that is stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's tonight in an apostolic church, in an old-fashioned altar of commitment and consecration where everything is yielded and surrendered unto God. They say time can heal, but time won't erase all the past mistakes. It's time to empty our hearts. It's time to call upon the name, the only name, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't toy with sin. Don't play with sin. Don't mess with sin. But tonight, empty out, empty out, empty it all out. Even the thought of your mind that would displease the Lord. Just a bud tonight. Maybe it hasn't yet blossomed. But if it's not in God's direction, you need to get rid of it. You need to deal with it.